Congregation, the text for the sermon this morning is Revelation 14. Revelation 14, the verses 14 to 20. And there the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, then writes the following. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. So far the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the harvest is in and the fields are pretty well all stubble at this time. Apparently a fairly good harvest as, as most crops go. Driving through the country and seeing the fields harvested now calls to mind the, the harvest we read about in our text. The Lord's harvest on the last day. The visions the Lord gave to John as described in Revelation were given by the Lord Jesus to keep his church living in the hope of that harvest. And I believe that's also why the Christian school here is called Harvest School looking toward that harvest. And congregation, we have to ask ourselves as we look around and we see the harvest in now here, around here, we can ask ourselves, do we live in the expectation of Jesus Christ's coming for his harvest, for his judgment of the living and the dead, which take place when he returns? Or does the return of the Lord Jesus Christ seldom occupy our thoughts or affect how we live? We live in the midst of a lot of prosperity and freedom here today, and that's actually the danger of prosperity and freedom, such as we enjoy in this part of the world today, that we live for this life only. And that all that we enjoy here causes us not to think in terms of the return of the Lord with his judgment. And that's why it's good 
to be confronted from time to time with what the Lord says about that too. And this time when we see the harvested fields all around us today, to think of the Lord's great harvest. And that's the theme for the sermon this morning, the Lord's great harvest. And we pay attention to three things in connection with that in our text. First of all, the eagerness of the Lord for that harvest. Secondly, the time when he will harvest. And thirdly, the manner in which the Lord will harvest. So first of all, the eagerness of the Lord for that harvest. In the book of Revelation, as you know, congregation John describes great and, and awesome visions, and some of them terrible visions, about the, the history, the, the history of this world as it unfolds. We won't go into all of that here this morning, but to put our text into context, we touch on just the, maybe the previous a couple of chapters. In Revelation 12 and 13, the Lord showed John the great red dragon, the devil, and he showed that beast from the earth, the Antichrist, and the beast from the sea, the false prophet, that unholy trinity, doing their best to destroy the work of God, to destroy the church of God, an unholy trinity against the church and against God's work. But in chapter 14, John is given the first part of that chapter, John is given this vision of the 144,000 on Mount Zion with the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And, th and that vision, that 144,000, 12,000 times 12,000, that, that vision means it's the church, the Holy Catholic Church here on earth. And what that vision means is that the church is safe with her Savior here on earth, the Lamb keeps his church safe. He knows their number and keeps them safe. The dragon and his helpers can rage, but the church is safe with the Lord. What a comfort for us to know as we look ahead uh, in, in this unstable world in which we live. No matter how furiously the dragon and his dominion work to wipe out the church, he knows their number, and his, his elect are safe with him. And then at the end of John 14, the apostle sees where all this leads to, and he sees in our text then the coming of judgment day. And he sees that day pictured as a twofold harvest, wheat harvest and a, a grape harvest. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes for his people like someone who harvests grain with a sharp sickle and brings that grain into his barn. And those who belong to the dominion of the evil one are represented as grapes which are harvested by another angel and trampled in the winepress of the wrath of God. And out of that winepress of the wrath of God flows blood which is so deep that horses can swim in it for miles and miles. This imagery of Judgment Day as a twofold harvest is already, as we read in Joel, found in the Old Testament, Joel 3. We read earlier on the prophet Joel warns about the coming judgment of the Lord 
on the nations and he says in verse 13 of Joel 3, put, the sick, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, go, and then trample down for the winepress is full, the vats overflow for their wickedness is great. You see, harvest of grain, harvest of the vine is biblical imagery of the last judgment. The Lord Jesus used that same type of imagery in the parables about the last judgment too. The grain harvest then represents the bringing of the redeemed into the eternal kingdom of God. And the grape harvest and the trampling of the grapes uh, in the wine press represents the judgment and condemnation of the wicked. They are crushed. But before it comes to any harvest, before that day of judgment comes, John sees the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven yet ready for that grain harvest in our text. And note how he describes the Lord there in the section we read. He says there, verse 14, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. The one like the Son of Man is, of course, the ascended and glorified Lord Jesus Christ himself. When he was in his state of humiliation here on earth, he called himself Son of Man, Son of God, but he came to this earth as true man, mortal man, to work redemption by his death and resurrection. And now John sees him in his exaltation. And even in his divine glory, John recognizes the Lord Jesus Christ as man. Because he ascended into heaven with his human body and soul. He's man. And, but his divine glory now almost obscures his humanity, but it can still be seen. And that's why John in our text described him one, as one like the Son of Man. And John also noted he was seated on a white cloud. Being seated on a cloud in the Old Testament symbolized divine majesty and power and authority. Psalm 68 speaks about him who rides upon the clouds, about the Lord God. That represents God in his sovereign majesty and and exaltation, his authority. And when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, we're told a cloud took him out of the sight of the apostles. So when the Lord spoke to his disciples about his return in glory to judge the world, he also spoke in terms of coming on the clouds with great glory and power. So that white cloud on which John saw the Lord Jesus seated in our text represents him sitting in government over the whole earth. He reigns there with power, authority, majesty. And that's reinforced in that vision of John by that crown of gold that he sees there on the Lord's head. At his ascension, he was crowned with glory and honor. He was given authority over all of God's creation. He is the victorious ruler over all things. So, what a, what a comforting vision here, congregation, of our Savior. This vision assures us that no matter what's happening here on earth, 
the Lord is there on that cloud and reigns over all. War in Syria and Iraq. And you hear about the, the attack on Mosul at this time. Political turmoil in the United States before an election. Lack of moral leadership in our own nation. Economic instability in the, in the world. People almost panicky about saving the world from climate change. But the Lord Jesus Christ, we always have to think of the Lord Jesus Christ seated on that cloud above it all, that crown on his head in power and majesty, ruling over all things. This age will only unfold and end as he decides. Maybe we don't understand how or what, why is this happening, why is he allowing that then? But our text calls us, just believe that. That's the one theme that comes back every time again in the book of Revelation. Jesus reigns. And he does so for the sake of his people, his church. And he is the one who opens that scroll of the history that's unfolding right now. And notice further congregation that John saw that the Lord Jesus was holding this sharp sickle in his right hand. And you know what a sickle is? It was for harvesting wheat in those days, a large blade with a handle on it. And this, in a sharp sickle, it says, that was, that's one that was wetted and sharpened in readiness for the harvest. Because that would happen before the harvest. They would sharpen all the sickles. Like a farmer today has all the machinery tuned and ready to go into his field to harvest. And, and then the farmer is ready too. When he's ready, he's got everything greased up and all that. He's ready and he walks out into the field from day to day to see how the, the grain is coming. If the harvest is ready, when should I, I harvest he looks at the clouds, the sky, the weather reports. Well, the Lord Jesus portrays himself in our text with that sickle in his hand, sharp and ready to go into the harvest. And that shows us he can't wait to bring his own into his eternal kingdom. He'd rather harvest today than leave it till tomorrow. There's only one thing holding him back. The harvest has to be ripe. Soon as it's ready, he'll harvest. He's not like a farmer who procrastinates. No, he's eager to be out there to harvest. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, if our Lord and Jesus is, is ready and eager to bring his own into his eternal kingdom to harvest them in, shouldn't we be ready and eager to be harvested and brought into his kingdom? Our Savior longs for, for that harvest every day. He works towards, he burns for it every day. Do we long for and work toward that harvest every day too in union with him? Are our lives directed to that day? I mentioned before already that the danger for us today is that we can become so comfortable here 
with our hearts set on, on the things of this life that we don't think about that harvest too much and that doesn't influence our thoughts and our, our hearts and our deeds. People who have hard lives or who are persecuted, you know, it's understandable that they would long for the Lord to come back to, to bring his harvest home. But congregation, also in our state, if things are going well, we need to keep longing for and praying for and looking for that harvest too and living for it. Encouraging each other to do that too. Otherwise, when the Lord returns, will he find faith with us here on earth? We come to the second part of the sermon, the time when the Lord harvests. Congregation, as John, in his vision, gazed at the Lord Jesus sitting on that cloud with that sickle in his hand and crown on his head, he suddenly noticed an angel, another angel, after all the angels that John had seen so far. He saw an angel coming out of God's temple, God's dwelling in heaven. John heard this messenger coming from God's throne room, crying out to the Lord Jesus Christ on that cloud in a loud voice. We could say a voice full of excitement. Excitement. Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time to reap has come. The time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And we see here God the Father authorizing his son Jesus Christ himself to harvest the wheat, to bring his own into his kingdom. And you see that also happening with that other harvest, the harvest of the grapes. There's an angel from the temple there who came out of that temple holding a sharp sickle ready for the grape harvest. And then another angel who had charge of the fire and then charge of the fire for the incense altar from which the prayers of the saints went up to God. That, that altar represents the, the prayers of the saints. That angel came and cried out to the angel with the sickle, but also with a sharp sickle, to harvest the earth's vine because its grapes are fully ripe. And note that the time of the harvest, therefore, will only come when the wheat and the grapes are ripe. Fully ripe. And not a day before or a day after. The wheat representing those who believe in Christ as Savior has to be ripe. Ready. And the grapes representing the unbelievers and the wicked also have to be, has to be ripe. And when both the wheat and the grapes are ripe, then and only then will the last great harvest take place. Only when the faith and fruits of believers are completely ready and only when the fruit of unbelief and wickedness of the unbelievers is fully developed will it be time for the harvest. And thinking about those grapes representing the unbelievers first, we're given to understand there's a ripening process going on with unbelievers then those who are outside of Christ. There's a, a process of ripening going on. God gives them time to grow in their wickedness. He gives them over to it. 
to their unbelief and works of unbelief so that, they're, that they become completely ready for his judgment. It can be frustrating for the people of the Lord to see unbelief at work and making so much progress in this world and in this society in which we live. However, we don't have to get overly thrown off by that progress of unbelief around us because it's part of the process of the ripening for the final harvest. Unbelief and wickedness has to ripen too for that harvest to be ready. God lets those grapes ripen. He allows the wicked to be wicked still, more wicked still, until the measure of their wickedness is full. And then there's also that process of ripening with believers. Only when the wheat is ripe will the Lord thrust in his sickle for that harvest too, the wheat harvest. And what's that ripening process for believers? Well, it has to do with the faith of the Lord's people. A ripe faith is a real faith which isn't outward, just outward formality, but inner growing love and devotion for the Lord and for his kingdom. That means not just going to church here because it's expected of us or because a family of friends, because a consistory might come knocking. It means worshiping the Lord because you have a real relationship with him. He, he is real to you. And that faith is then also then a faith that produces fruit. A true faith, a true relationship with the Lord will produce fruit in your life. Fruit of daily repentance and coming more and more to love and good works. It's a process. Good works which can also be seen by others since you're not ashamed of your Savior, you want to live for Him. And that brings to the question then, beloved, we could, can we say that our faith is ripening? Now it doesn't have to be a huge change from day to day, but is there that ripening process as wheat ripens over the summertime and produces 20, 30, 60-fold? Is there a ripening in your life? Because everything is ripening for that last great harvest, remember? And there's only two kinds of fruit that are becoming ripe. Wheat and grapes. Can we... Can we say, you know, to ourselves, I'm, I'm ripening for the wheat harvest? Or are we ripening for the grape harvest through unrepentance, not wanting to let go of our sins? Have we become riper wheat through the joys and the good things that we have enjoyed as well as the difficulties and disappointments and the sorrows we have to deal with? Or... Have we become riper grapes because we take God's gifts for granted and the difficulties make us bitter toward God and questioning Him, make us doubt His gracious promises to us more and more? Is our faith ripening more and more into peace and joy in Christ and love for others? Or is it causing to us to become harder 
and more cynical, more cynical about the Lord and church, more selfish. That's something we have to examine ourselves for and something in which we need to help one another with too so that all of us here may, may ripen as wheat and not as grapes. That's why the Lord establishes a church and puts us together here so we can encourage each other in that. And that's also the purpose of church discipline, to urge those caught in sin to repent and produce fruits befitting repentance. Congregation, let's give the Holy Spirit every opportunity to work in all of us here, those fruits of his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And let's encourage each other to grow and ripen in those fruits of faith through everything we have to deal with. The harvest will come when the wheat as well as the grapes are ripe. Who knows, maybe this week the cry will sound in heaven to take the sickles and to reap. And will you be ripe for the wheat harvest or for the grape harvest? We come to the third part, the manner in which the Lord harvests. Congregation, it says in verse 16, so he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. Notice that the Lord Jesus Christ himself personally harvests the wheat, which represents his people. He harvests them. He has an angel, there's a different angel. God has an angel of judgment harvest the grapes, representing those who belong to Satan and his dominion. And then the wine press is trampled outside the city, the place of curse where Jesus was crucified. He bore the curse for, for his own. That is where the grapes are brought and are pressed out. And blood comes out of that wine press of God's wrath up to the horse's bridles, as we mentioned, for about 300 kilometers so that horses can swim for miles in the blood of the condemned. And that represents then the fierceness and the, the very eternity of God's wrath against those who do not have Christ as the, their savior, the one who bore the curse for them. The harvest of the redeemed into the fullness of God's kingdom, on the other hand, as we mentioned, is the Lord's own doing. He brings them in. And this is what he became man and suffered and died for. For that harvest, this is his. This is what it was all about for him. This is where he went to the cross for. And and then you realize this is, it's no wonder that this is a moment he longs for. With, he, he looks forward to it with great anticipation. He will reap what he has sown. Gave himself up for the wrath and curse of God on the cross outside the city for these people. And then he wants nothing more than to bring them glorified into his father's eternal house. It'll be the day of days for him and all his own. The beginning of everlasting joy and feasting 
for the Lord himself with his own. That day will come suddenly. Notice it says in the text, he was seated on the cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth. Thrust it in. The impression given is that suddenly he swings it over the earth once and the earth is harvested. And it's the same with the angel who reaps the grapes. The whole harvest brought in at once. The harvest itself is not a process. It's a single, sudden, great event. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that speaks of the necessity for us to prepare for that day, to be ripening in our faith in the Lord. That day, as the Lord said to his disciples, and as Paul writes to the Thessalonians, will come like a thief in the night. Suddenly, it's there, unexpectedly. And then, then there's no time to prepare or to change or to repent anymore. No time to make things right with the Lord anymore. No time to make things right with your neighbor anymore. You're either ripe wheat or ripe grapes at that moment. You're either brought into eternal joy or into the winepress of God's wrath forever. And the question for us to consider in the light of that sudden coming of the harvest is, then again, will we be ripe wheat or ripe grapes? And we have to keep in mind that any time there's going to be a harvest of wheat and of grapes, that it will come all at once, the manner of the harvest. We can't procrastinate then about being busy with the word so we can grow and ripen in our love for the Lord and living for him. And you see, congregation, then this is a call for us to live every day and every hour as if it's our last one here in anticipation of the harvest. The Lord emphasized it over and over again during his ministry here on earth. Matthew 24, on that day he says, two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So in that light, it's very important what we're doing from day to day and hour to hour. What if we're busy at this time? Hey, at this time, busy hardening our heart in a certain sin. And that doesn't happen all at once. It's just over time, that process ripening. What if we're cherishing anger in our heart against someone? Bitterness. Or what if we're slowly, you know, getting drawn into something that is against God's will, slowly giving ourselves over to alcohol or drug dependence or porn addiction or so, then we're, there's, a, there's a, an obvious ripening for the harvest of grapes. And watch, our Lord said, be preparing yourself, ripening as wheat, ripening through daily repentance and deeds befitting repentance because he's going to suddenly thrust his sickle in. And no matter how inconvenient that moment may be for people, and our text is therefore an admonition to realize we're, we are in a process of ripening for one or the other harvest. 
And maybe the sickles will be swung today or tomorrow or this week or after we have left this life. Could be years. But the thing is, we have to make it a point to always work at living close to our Lord Jesus Christ as if it's coming today. That's how our text calls us to live from day to day, ripening in anticipation of suddenly entering the fullness of the Savior's kingdom. A powerful motivation for our sanctification. And that's what every Sunday worship is about, isn't it, congregation? And devotions at home. And Bible stories for the boys and girls at home. And Christian school. And catechism classes for the young people. And Bible study groups. That's what the elders come for on home visit too. That's to encourage us all to be growing. To be ripening for that great harvest. To be watchful. For as we see in our text, the Lord is keen to reap the wheat. And when the crop is ready, he'll swing his sickle once in a moment and take his elect into his joy. Do we really believe that? Congregation, then that'll put all the struggles and disappointments and hardships you deal with in your life in perspective too, won't it? Sometimes we deal with those things as if it's, it's the end of my life as I know it. Congregation, it's not. This is the end of it all. This is where it's all heading. Do we really believe that? The purpose of your life is not your happiness, your success, or whether you have this, or whether you have fun, or whether you live long. It's whether you're getting ripe for the harvest as long as you have life. Do you, do you believe that? Are you living for that? Are you fighting to become ripe for that? If you are, then you'll be. Not grapes trodden in the winepress of God's fury, but golden wheat brought into the Lord's eternal barns by His grace. Amen.